promises. Promises, promises. Our world is full of promises. In the coming weeks, our great nation of Canada will head to the polls to elect our next government. Many of these politicians have built their platform on promises. Promises to raise the standard of living, or to cut taxes, or to fund education or health care, or work to establish new jobs. And many voters head into the polls next month and will tick a box next to a name of a person who they believe will either keep their promises or at the very least, they believe, and that's why they vote for them, because they prefer their set of promises over the other team's set of promises. Promises. Our world is built on them. Our economy is driven by them. You know that if you want to sell your home or property, any interested party could make an offer, and if it is accepted, in effect, it's a promise to purchase your home for the set amount and a promise to meet whatever conditions are on there. Business relationships, likewise, are built on promises. Every credit account that is opened, every check that is written, every employee that is hired, every oath that is taken is done so effectively making a promise. We're surrounded by promises. We depend on promises. We make promises and give our word to fulfill what we promised. Hopefully. We are promise makers, promise takers, promise keepers, and sometimes promise breakers. Ten years ago, I stood at the altar before God, before a minister, before witnesses, and publicly declared my promise to love and cherish and to care for and to honor the most beautiful being ever conceived. That's the thing about promises. You make them once, but you keep them every day. Our God is a God of promises. Our God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. All the promises to us, God's beloved in Jesus, are yes and amen. The Bible is a book of promises. The Bible is God's word to us, his word of promise, that he will be faithful, that he will provide all our needs, that in him we can hope, in him we have a confident hope. In him we have the promise of life everlasting. In his name we have the promise of deliverance from sin, from guilt, and from shame. In his name we have the promise of resurrection. For the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same exact power. That is at work in us who believe his promise. We have the power of God at work in us because of the promise of God. God has never made a promise that he won't keep. He has never given his word for it to fail. His word fails not and his promises always come to pass because his word endures forever. 
This time I want you to hear more about the promise-keeping Heavenly Father. Would you please give a warm welcome to Marion? Would you please come? I don't do this very often, <laughs> but praise God, we're all family here, aren't we? And, and God is so good. And what an introduction to the, to the word and how God gives us promise. This summer has been a bit busy in our family. Um, uh, we had, well, I had two little great-grandsons born this summer, one in July, one in August, after four little great-granddaughters. So praise God, he is so good. <laughs> Um, but anyways, I was just thinking recently about when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt to the promised land. In Exodus, he said, Moses asked God, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said, say this to them, I am, I am, I will never leave you or nor forsake you. Who do you need me to be? In the second Peter 1, 2, and 3, it says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. The last part of 1 John 4 and 17 says also, As he is so are we in this world. In my situation in, in May, Owen and Joy, my daughter and her husband, made a proposal to me and said, um, what would you think if we both sold our homes and buy one together with a walkout basement and I would have my own complete suite? I didn't have to think about it very long as I just knew this was right and this was from God. I had such peace immediately and knew it was Holy Spirit speaking to me and giving me that peace. So going ahead, that familiar scripture came to me. You know the one, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And in the Amplified Bible, it says, Lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart and mind. And do not rely on your own insight of understanding. In all your ways, know, recognize, and acknowledge him. And he will direct and make straight and plain your paths. We each did some staging and listed our homes. And as you know, the real estate market has been a little softer than it was in the past. But you know what happened? Owen and Joy sold their home, not within days, not within months, not within weeks, but hours after listing for their total asking price. I mean, that was God. That is God. Hallelujah. And, they, and we have a beautiful home. When I listed mine, there were, I believe, five other units for sale in the condo, and some had been for sale for a while. My husband and I had moved a few times in our lives, but this was the first time that I did not have my husband with me as he went to be with Jesus in 2011. He was the packer, and we did the moves together. We made decisions together, packed together, purged together, and moved together, but now... In this move, bottom line, in the natural, it was up to me to make the decisions. But God said, acknowledge me in everything that you do, and I will direct your paths. I had remembered that there was a scripture about God being a husband to the woman without a husband. So I went searching, and this is what I found. 
in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, in the New Living Translation, you will no longer remember the sorrows of widowhood, for your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He's your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. And in Ephesians, it also says, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him it's like a marriage. Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. And then again back in Isaiah 41, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Oh, my goodness. So after, <laughs> I'm getting excited all over again. <laughs> so after I read those scriptures, I talked to God out loud, and I said, okay, God, you said you'd be my husband, and as you know, I really need you to be my husband right now to help sell my suite and help me get everything in a box. And after that, at least once a day, and sometimes more, I prayed or declared those scriptures over my situation. I prayed, thank you, God, that you no longer, that I no longer remember the sorrows of widowhood. For you, God, my creator, are my husband. The Lord of heavens, my mighty armies is your name. You are my redeemer, the holy one of Israel, the God of all the earth. I am strong in you, Lord, empowered through my union with you. I draw my strength from you, that strength which your boundless might provides. I am not afraid, for you are my, with me. I am not discouraged, for you are my God. You are strengthening me and helping me. You are holding me up with your victorious right hand. Well, my condo sold fairly quickly for 99% of my asking price. I also, made, and I also made a list of things that I wanted to sell. And between the buyers and online and neighbors, everything from my list was sold. Everything, everything. Praise God. He is above awesome and above amazing. And last year in our small groups, we studied the balance between grace and faith. God said in 2 Peter 1, he has given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. Our part is just to believe and receive by faith the promises he has given to us. We just, we just have to know what he has promised and declare it out of our mouths. His word is alive. For my situation, I had God's word on it, and he was faithful to his word. Hallelujah. Praise God. He is so awesome. He is so awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm getting ready to preach. We're going to have you back, Marion. Just clear your schedule. In our time today, we're going to briefly touch on two promises that God has made. The first, the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The second, the promise of Jesus' return. Finally, we will touch on our responsibility in taking hold of these promises. Are you good for that? Two promises, what we got to do, and we'll close it there. Before we dive into these promises, however, I, wanna, I want us to become acquainted with the book of Malachi, because the context in which Malachi prophesied greatly parallels our world today and our culture today. Malachi is the final book in the Old Testament. Canonically, his book is the last of the 12 minor prophets. Uh, Malachi was the only Italian prophet in the Bible, Malachi. 
Did you use that one already? No? Probably. If you didn't know where Malachi is in your Bible, just go to Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, and turn left. You have arrived at your destination. Let me read to you this description from Zondervan's The Jesus Bible. The final prophecy of the Old Testament challenges Israel to what? To remember the glorious nature of God's love. This is what all the prophets did. They saw a people who lost their passion and lost their love for God. And they called the people back to God. Pastor last week was back to church Sunday. This week, back to God Sunday. The Old, the Old Testament prophets called the people to remember who God is and who they are. To shake them out of their complacency and to remember the goodness and faithfulness of God in their lives. Stefan, I just want to say that you are a beautiful man. It's the dimples. It's the dimples. Hashtag gets them every time. The Jesus Bible goes on to say the theme of forgetfulness was prominent throughout the Old Testament. When the nation prepared to cross the Jordan River and possess the promised land, Moses warned them of the danger of forgetting God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 through 20. Let's take a look at it. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine homes and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant with you, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Amen. Is that your favorite passage? Sobering words, to be sure. Forgetfulness is popular. That's why we need to be reminded. That's why we stand here each and every week and for the most part tell you what you already know. Because it's good to be reminded. We all need it. Because as human beings, we forget. We take our eyes off of Jesus. We forget who we are. And instead of listening to the voice of the Spirit, we listen to the voice of the Spirit of the world. Child of God, the call to you today is to wake up. Child of God, arise. 
and remember God. It's like a scene in the movie Lord of the Rings. How many of you have seen it, the, the trilogy, extended cut? Okay. I think it's in part two that captures this idea well. There's this king, his name is Theoden, he's the king of Rohan. And he's, he's on his throne, but he's there, and he's weak, and he's with age, and he's full of sorrow and confusion. And he's listening to the voice of one of these advisors of his who's, like, completely evil. And I was going to show the clip, but it's, it's really, it's, it's much. In, in fact, he was, this king was not just listening to an advisor. He was actually possessed by this evil wizard named Saruman who had infiltrated his mind. And it's only when Gandalf arrives and rebukes the voice of the evil one and he casts out the evil wizard, does King uh, Theoden awaken and he remembers who he is and his youth is renewed and he is restored and he is reborn and he takes up his sword. It's a really touching part of the movie. It's the turning point of the whole series. Spoiler alert. Child of God cancel the enemy's access to your heart. Instead of listening to the spirit of the world, hear the voice of the Lord. Remember who God is. Remember who you are. You are the righteousness of Christ in God. The righteousness of God in Christ, I should say. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Stop listening to the voice of the world to tell you who you are. God has given you his word. He has said who you are. You are his. Let us not forget God as Israel did. Their years in the wilderness had taught the people to depend on God quite literally for their daily bread. Once they entered the land, however, they found ample provision just as God had promised. But rather than prompting the people to worship, the surplus they found in the promised land caused them to forget God and trust in their own resources and in their own ability. It happened to Israel. It happened in the days of Malachi. And if we are not careful, it can happen to us. In a similar fashion, the Jews who lived in Judah in Malachi's day, about a century after the Babylonian exile, for those of you who are taking notes and you got your timeline going, let me see, hold up your timeline that you're, you're writing, okay. The Jews who lived in Malachi's day were prone to forget God. They were blessed by the fact that they were established in the land, they were enjoying a rebuilt temple and wall around Jerusalem, and this, given the chance to restore united worship among God's people, but they didn't. Their hopes for the glory that the prophets had promised flagged in the face of their own low political status and the lack of a visible symbol of God's presence in the temple. Their worship became listless and rote. It means they were just going through the motions rather than being inspiring. Here's what happened. A remnant returned from exile to Judah and Jerusalem had a new temple. They also had a rebuilt wall so they were safe, they were established, but their worship was weak. So how is your worship? Is it full of life and passion? Or is it just going through the motions? Has your comforts and your blessings caused you to remember God or forget God? Yes, you come to church and you should. But are you seeking to be filled with the fullness of the life of God? 
Malachi reminded the people that rightly remembering God comes about by proper worship. But the priests who offered blemished animals were otherwise negligent about worship. They offered a poor example that resulted in lackluster worship practices among God's people. The spillover effect of this faulty worship was broken social relationships, especially the relationships between husbands and wives. Malachi talks about this in chapter 2. Rather than modeling God's covenant love, marriages among the people of God were broken by divorce. Also, Malachi chided the nation for robbing God by withholding tithes and offerings meant for the needy and to fund worship. Here's what happened. The priests weren't doing their job. They despised worship. They weren't offering sacrifices correctly. And when the people saw that the priests didn't care, they didn't care. And when worship became second place in the lives of the people, everything else started to fall apart, their marriages and their finances. Here's the truth. When God is not first, things break. Sometimes things break all the same. So it's still good to have God first. That said, when our worship is out of alignment, it mars everything else. How can we have right relationships with ourselves, with our family, when we are not right with God? How can we have God-honoring stewardship of our resources, of our finances, of our time, when we are not right with God? Who's getting fooled here? Church, the long and short of it is this. The temperature of your worship sets the climate for your life. Somebody shout, turn up the heat. The end of this prophecy, Malachi pointed forward to a coming messenger who would both speak the word of God and model conformity to his message. It says in chapter 4, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Sounds good. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. That's talking about you. You who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. You will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Anybody who says that the Bible is boring just hasn't read it. I'm telling you, spice up your date night. Okay, read Malachi. Here in the text, this messenger would minister in the spirit and power of Elijah. And the point and point the way to the Messiah who would worship God perfectly and give his very life on behalf of his people. Malachi's prophecy culminated in the ministry of the culminated the ministry of the prophets before God's word came in the flesh centuries later about 400 years for your timeline. 
Jesus, as Jesus Christ, God's promised Messiah. Again, Malachi 3.17 says, On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, then will my treasured possession, they will be my treasured possession, I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. Church, what do we need to remember about God? We need to remember his promises. For today there are two. First, that was my introduction, is the, the first promise we need to remember is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And second, the day of Jesus' return. First, the promise of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah chapter 31 says this in verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And this is also, uh, Jeremiah is also quoted fully in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 to 11. Ezekiel has a number of references, chapters 11, uh, verse 19, chapter 37, verse 14, and also in chapter 39. But we're going to look at chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I, remove, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and, and be careful to keep my laws. John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Luke 24, verse 45, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In Joel, it says this in chapter 2, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is the same verse that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts in chapter 2, uh, verse 17. Peter says... Um, the exact same thing. He quotes Joel. And then later in Acts 2.38, he says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Tell your neighbor, it's for you. Tell your other neighbor, you too. We can't live this life apart from the Spirit of God. We need the baptism in the Holy Spirit of God. And this is a contentious issue. This, is, this, this causes people to, like, freak out and stuff. Like, what are you talking about? You're saying I'm not No, it's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that that's the wrong way to talk about it. If God has promised something in his word, don't you want it? 
don't, don't you want all that God has given you? We need to seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that we just seek the feeling or we seek tongues or we seek this. No, we seek God. But we ask God for the promise. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Church, I picked out a handful of verses, but there are dozens and dozens and dozens more. Over and over and over again, Scripture declares the promise of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We need to remember it and we need to proclaim it. This promise is for you and this promise is for your children. God doesn't function without a purpose. He's not giving us something without a reason. If he's given it to us, it's because we need it. We need to remember it. We need to proclaim it. We need to seek it and we need to receive it. To live as Christ cannot be done apart from his Holy Spirit. The truth of God cannot be fully understood apart from the Holy Spirit. The mission of God cannot be accomplished apart from the Holy Spirit. No one can be born again, move from death to life without the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We want you to fill our lives, to overflow in our hearts, to guide us into all truth, to free us from the world and the flesh and the devil, to sanctify us, to seal us, to heal us, and to give us new hearts, hearts that please God, to renew our minds as our spiritual act of worship. God, we need you, and we believe in your promise. Holy Spirit, release us from our idols, our addictions, and our apathy. Lord, set us on fire for your name's sake. Do you know that Pentecostals were known as people of the promise? Their first newsletter that went all over the world was called The Promise. Promise number two time is short. Jesus is coming back. Jesus will return soon. Every time someone says that Jesus will return return soon, every time that's declared, it's actually more true than the time it was said previously. You're going to be driving on the highway and be like, oh, I got it. Acts chapter 1 verse 11. Listen, there's 50 verses I could have quoted today. We're not going to go through all of them. Someone say amen. Acts 1.11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus. Say that. Same Jesus. Who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. He went up. He's coming back. 1 Corinthians 4.5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. 1 Corinthians 15, but each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Colossians 3, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
1 Thessalonians, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from what? From the coming wrath. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will become blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. In chapter 4, according to the Lord's own word, when we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. While people are People are saying peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. In chapter 5, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is just and in 2 Thessalonians, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Are you seeing a trend here? Hebrews 10, for in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. James 5, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. If it was true then, how much more true is it now? Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Second Peter, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Someone say anyone. Not anyone to perish. The Lord wants all to be saved. Do you know I looked up... The word all in the Greek. Do you know what it means? All. Some theologians, man. Anyway, I'm not even going to go there. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. First John 3. Dear friends, now we are like children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Do you see the responsibility there? We have this hope in Jesus who will return. So what is our role to purify ourselves just as he is pure? See the Lord is coming in Jude 1 with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way. 
and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Revelation 1, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from he who is and who was and who is to come. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So it shall be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 3, I am coming soon. You know, in the NIV, it's written in red, so you can't say no to it. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple, temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Behold, in Revelation 22, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Church, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. The promise of Jesus' return is throughout Scripture. It's there. We need to receive it. We need to believe it. We need to proclaim it. Scripture repeats emphatically that this same Jesus who went into heaven will one day soon return. This is the promise of God. This is the truth. We can know it with certainty as we have the testimony of Scripture and the witness of the Holy Spirit. You see, it wasn't just the word of God that we have to confirm it. We also have the witness of, of Scripture. It was characteristic, especially of early Pentecostals. If you read those promised newsletters I was talking about, you see over and over and over again that the pouring out of the Spirit was this last outpouring of oil for, for the, the winning of the world so that they could go on this incredible missionary endeavor around the world to spread the gospel one last time before Jesus came back. Where did they come up with this idea? It was the witness of the Spirit within them that confirmed to them that Jesus was coming back soon. Listen, if you're full of the Holy Spirit and you have apathy about Jesus' return, we need to have a little sidebar chat. You know, it's funny. Uh, when I was young and I heard about the rapture, you know, as a kid, you think weird things, right? You come home, your parents are not there, the radio's on. Do you all know what radios are? I'm looking at the young people to see if they know what a radio is. Radio's on, no one's home, but the lights are on. You say, oh my gosh. You run out in the street. You're like, Lord, don't forget me. This was a common occurrence. You thought maybe the rapture happened. When you're seven in youth group, they make you watch that, that movie Thief in the Night. And that put the fear of God in you. You know? Are you rapture ready? You know, get ready. Do some, some jumps, you know? You know, as a kid, I, I, I tried to make a little deal with God. I don't know if you ever uh, had this experience too, but it was kind of like, Lord, I know you're coming back soon, but can I just live to 28? I think 28's a good age. I, I would have lived a full life by 28, right? That's all I'm asking for, Lord. Okay, maybe 30. If I could just live to 30. Is that okay, God? Like, I, I, I want you to come back, but 
I want to live my life. I'm enjoying my life. Now, you might smile and say that's interesting for a little kid, but it reflects something. It reflects something in our hearts. Do we want Jesus to come back? Church, when we really get down to it, I'd be happy if Jesus came right now. Whatever's on the other side, it's way greater than what's going on here. You're not losing anything. But if the Spirit of God lives in you, it testifies that same call, that same cry, come, Lord Jesus. Is that the cry of your heart? Is that your prayer? Is that your internal talk that's going on saying, Lord, come. We need you, Lord. The world needs you. We heard about these two promises. What must be our response? You may ask me this morning, Pastor, I heard you. What would you have me do? Repent. Repent. You're saying, I heard the message about the promises of God and I haven't trusted them fully. I haven't believed them fully. I haven't been focused on them. I've been worried with my own life. Repent. And trust God. You have sin in your life that you've just been excusing. Repent. You're avoiding something God is clearly calling you to do. Repent. This life isn't a game. Repent and seek the Lord. To repent was the calling of every single prophet. To repent was the first words of John the Baptist, who came as a forerunner to Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior and our Lord. You want to know something else? To repent was the first recorded words of Jesus himself. To repent was the cry of the apostles, Peter and Paul and John. How else could I be faithful as a pastor? How else could I be faithful to preach and not call people to repentance? You know what it says in Ezekiel? That Ezekiel, I'm giving you this trust to call people to repentance. If you don't do it, it's on you. But if you do do it and they refuse to listen, it's on them. How else can I be faithful to the office as a pastor of this church and not call people to repentance, to call people from turn, to turn from sin today, to seek the Lord for the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God given to you as the oil in your lamp without which you cannot see through the darkness of this world. Church, time is short. Turn and seek the Lord today. 
Today is the day of salvation. Today, while you hear his voice calling to you, do not turn away. Instead, prepare the way.